Revelation chapter 21 and the verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. It is especially the words, no more sea, that we want to think upon tonight. The previous chapter 20 marks the end, not the end of the book, but the end of the world as we presently know it. The evil world system has been dealt with. The city of Babylon has been destroyed. The beast and the false prophet are all ruined and judged by Almighty God. And even Satan in chapter 20, the head and the power Behind all the dark opposition to the Lord, he is destroyed also. And all the wicked, all the ungodly, are in Gehenna, following the final judgment. And now we come into chapter 21, the new heaven and the new earth. So what we have here is paradise restored without sin and God in the midst of his people. Revelation chapter 21 tells us of that. And at the end, the new Jerusalem, the church having been completed, the new Jerusalem comes down into the prepared new heaven and the new earth. The key word in this early part of the chapter is the word new. A new heaven, verse 1, a new earth. Verse 2, the new Jerusalem coming down. Verse 5, behold, I make all things new. This is a completely fresh start. Not just fresh, but a new beginning. And also far superior than the old. The old has gone. Because it says there, the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And a new heaven and a new earth is now unfolding. Purged and purified with refining fire. And with all the elements of the curse removed. But in this vision of the new world. John is particularly struck by something. And he says that at the end of verse 1, our text. There was no more sea. This seems to be something that captivates his mind. And no doubt there were thousands of things that could be said about this new heaven and the new earth. No doubt there were many things that stood out and some of those other things he, he will indeed refer to. But this particularly seemed to strike John. And he throws it in here right at the start. There's no more sea. To me, this seems very odd, very unusual. And so we have to pause at this tonight and reflect upon this, well, what this could mean. Now on earth, of course, there's plenty of sea. A large percentage of the earth is covered by sea. Uh, this earth is the blue planet. Because of that being covered by the, the seas. 
And John's words show that that is to change, to drastically and dramatically change. Now in the creation week, you'll remember that the sea and the waters were, were very important. Central, very fundamental, very prominent. The sea stood prominent. God called the dry land earth. The gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And out of those seas came all the life of the, the fish and the birds. The birds came out of the sea, out of the waters as well. All of this life coming out of the sea. And multiplying the fish in the sea and the fowls of the air in the earth. And then God spoke to man and God gave man dominion over not only all the land beasts but also over the sea and all that are in the sea. Dominion over the fish of the sea. So there was plenty of sea in the old, in the creation account. But not here. It's very conspicuous by its absence. John notes it. Not here. It's not the same kind of world. This is physically so, we are sure. No more sea. Because no more need for seas. Oceans, you see, provide us with what is very important for us, water. We have evaporation, clouds, the rain coming. Very vital for this present life in this present world. Uh, we have rivers and springs because of the oceans and what is happening in the climate. And so the present dependence of all plants and all animal life and even human life on these waters is essential in this present world. But in the new heaven and the new earth that ceases. There is not that same dependence on the seas. In the new, the water is otherwise. And John goes on to tell us about that. He showed me a pure river of water of life. This is different. Clear as crystal. And it's coming right from the throne of God. The life of the new is coming directly from the throne of God itself. This water of life. So there's no more need for seas. The life of God is in the very midst of all, providing to all the creatures all that they need for their everlasting sustenance. So it's a very different world. There's not one that we can comprehend or understand. We're only getting little snippets in this chapter. But this no more seas is a very striking one with John. But of course, John is more interested in theology than in the physical. He's more interested in the significance of that no more sea. You see, this no more sea has, has a message, a biblical message. A theological message. It says something about the new. How that it's going to be better. How that it won't grow old again. Like the old creation. How that it won't suffer what the old suffered. This absence of the sea shows that it's not going to be like the old. And suffer what the old suffered. 
And this absence of the sea particularly brings this out. I trust that we'll see this as we, we go through the message. The seas are places of darkness, places of mystery, places of the unknown, places of the deep into which light does not penetrate and out of which comes the unknown. And the sea has always had fear and dread for mankind who lives on the land and can't live on the sea. There's always been an element of fear and dread, the element of something mysterious, something dark, something deep, something unknown, something even hazardous. The sea brings that out. This is a thing which has always filled the world's mythology. The monsters of the deep. The beasts of the darkness below. The sea is deep and dark. Terrible things come out of it. And the sea pictures chaos, tumult, raging. As something that is always pushing against the bounds of the, the divinely created land. Isn't, isn't the sea always looks like it's, it's pushing against the bounds? Trying to come beyond the bounds? And sometimes floods come and it does go beyond the bounds. So, so the sea picture is something that is pushing the bounds that God has set. The sea is a picture of unrest in the Bible. And something that the Lord has to deal with. Has to work with has to command and still and has to rave as, as a furious wild beast. There is this element of chaos and unrest and raging and tumult. In the new earth, there is no possibility of that. None whatsoever. No pushing of the bounds. No raging, no tumult. No chaos, no terror, no depths of darkness. Only peace, stillness, perfect peace, undisturbed peace, perpetual, eternal peace. No seas, just solid foundation, solid stillness. Now John particularly notes this, no more sea, because in his visions... He has seen a lot of seas. And some of the experiences of seeing the seas have been terrifying to him. His experience with seas has generally been frightening, fearful. Uh, what the sea did in the book of the Revelation. What came out of it in the book of the Revelation. What is associated with it in the book of the Revelation and generally, it's not with anything good. And John has all of this in his mind. All the horrors of the old and the sea. No more seas. No more of that terror. No more being frightened. No more monsters arising. So you see where he's going here when he latches on to this. So you have to interpret this no more sea in the light of those previous visions. Now while literally there is no more sea, metaphorically it means much, much more than that. 
Let's look again then at some of the previous visions of sea scenes. In chapter 13, we have one. Particularly the latter half of the book of the Revelation, where it really is dark and all these forces are coming out from the deeps. The Revelation is really divided into two. In chapter 12, there's a, there's a, a, a division where you see the dragon, the beast, the false prophet, Babylon arising, and then going down into the Gehenna. All after chapter 12, it's dealing with that. But in particularly in that second half of the book, that's where we have the seas, the deep. And in chapter 13, we read, I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. So there's this wicked beast, this monster. This monster that we read of so much in this latter book of the Revelation, the beast that arises out of the sea. He's like the dragon because he has uh, the, the same kind of physical description, seven heads and ten horns. He's dragon-like. This beast is like an incarnation upon the earth of the dragon. He's coming up out of the sea where all these monsters are, the dragon, the sea serpent, and the beast is coming up. And he has nothing good to say. He's full of blasphemy. His name is blasphemy. And so the prophet is standing upon the sea and he sees this. And this blasphemous monster who comes out of the sea, comes out of the sea that represents the nations. Tumult of the nations. The devil works among the nations. He works in the hearts of the ungodly, the wicked ungodly. And out of the midst of them arise this beast. And that's what democracy has for you. The tumult of the nations. All the voice of the nations like the sea. Bringing up the beast to lead them. To be the king over them. To have the dominion. And so it's a picture of the ungodly world. The sea. Doesn't the Bible say the wicked are like the troubled sea. When it cannot rest. Whose waters cast up dirt and mire. And so he arises out of the nations. Out of the sea. And there is this raging against God. This raging against the church which we see here in the book. And all the wickedness and all the powers of darkness operating through him. And the nations against the church. And now John says no more sea. That's the end of that. No more beast. And so you can write no more sea over chapter 13. So that you'll, you'll remember that and you'll make the connection when you study it. On future occasions. And then you see this again in chapter 17. In chapter 17. Where we read that. In verse 1. That the great whore. We've seen the beast coming out of the sea. And we see the great whore. This is Babylon. That sitteth upon many waters. She's on the waters. On the multitude of the waters. And this Babylon is, is a wicked system. It's a blasphemous system. It's, it's a persecuting system. It's a woman who's drunk with the blood of the martyrs. 
But you'll notice that she has her base on the waters, on the nations, the peoples. She rides the waters as an enemy of God and an enemy of Christ and of all righteousness and a fearful opponent of the body of Christ on on the earth. So again here is a woman associated with the waters, with the oceans. So do you see how John in his mind is horrified by this idea of the seas and the waters? And this, of course, is all based on Daniel's vision, isn't it? It's all in the Old Testament because Daniel, he saw the beast, they arose out of the sea, didn't they? The sea monsters. Now, of course, there was the Mediterranean Sea in the vision. The only sea that Israel really is mainly acquainted with on its west coast. And it's it's a sea that introduces them to all the Gentile nations in the distant places. All the Western powers of the Roman Empire and the Greek Empire, whatever, they all had their base on that northern part of the Mediterranean Sea. And, and all the opposition and all the forces that came across by, by boats very often, they had land journeys as well, but there were the fleets. The danger came from the West as well as from the East. But in modern times, particularly with the Roman Empire, it was from the West. All these invaders. From the coasts of the sea. And then the dragon of course. We know that he's pictured in the Old Testament as as Leviathan. Who is a creature of the sea. Not just a serpent but he is a sea serpent. The Rahab. In the day the Lord with his sword and great strong sword shall punish Leviathan. The piercing serpent. Isaiah 27 verse 1. Even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. So the dragon is identified with the sea as a great sea monster. And that's why these beasts are coming up out of the sea. Because the dragon's in there and he's raising them up. Raising them up. Psalm 74, thou didst divide the sea by thy strength, thou breakest the heads of the dragons in the waters. Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces and giveth him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. And so you can see then how with gladness John is saying, no more sea, praise the Lord. And then you will remember how vital the sea was to Babylon's economy. The apostle saw this also. All the idolatrous trade of Babylon that kept her going, that kept her economy great so that she could have all the power and finances to deal with the church and to deal with righteousness and to keep the ungodly content and satisfied while being merciless to people of God. Maintaining this system. And was it not pictured like Rome is as being on the sea? The same Mediterranean Sea that we're talking about. Revelation chapter 18 verse 9. The kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning standing afar off for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city 
that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come, and the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth her merchandise. Notice there in verse 17, in one hour so great riches has come to naught, and every shipmaster, and all the company in ships, you see how all the sea people, the shipmasters, not just some shipmasters, all the shipmasters, all the sailors on the sea, all the company in the ships, and all that are trading by sea, they're standing afar off from, from Rome, from Babylon, on the coast there, as it collapses into the ocean, and is judged, that great millstone that's thrown into the midst of the sea, and it's being judged, and all the people on the sea are watching it, standing aghast. Oh, that great Babylon, how in one hour it's fallen, it's fallen. So they're all identified with the sea. They were all made rich in verse 19, it says, that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. Verse 21, as I said, a great millstone and cast it into the sea, that same sea that brought her all her wealth. She's cast into the midst of it. That sea upon which she sat, the many waters upon which she sat, cast into its very depths in the judgment of God so she won't come out again except at the final judgment and she'll not go into the new for there's no more sea. No more sea. And you will recall how the great white throne judgment account goes. In chapter 20 verse 11 down to verse 14 where we read of the, the great white throne judgment. We read that the unrighteous dead are associated with three places. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead which were in it. That's at the very start, that's at the very head. That leads it all. Where, where are the unrighteous dead? Where does it look like they're coming from? The sea. It doesn't say about anything coming out of the land. Their picture is coming out of the sea. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. So do you see how John gives prominence to the darkness of the sea as the place of the dead? Now, he doesn't mention the dead of the land, which is very, very odd indeed. But they're associated with the sea, you see. And with the false prophet. And with the beast. And with the dragon. That's where they belong. And that's who they have perished with. The dead of the sea. And all the wicked have been taken out of it. All these people that are dead in the sea, they're identified with death and hell. They're all taken out of it. And they're judged. And they're cast into another sea. The Gehenna Sea. The outer darkness. And God has dealt with all of these. Prior to chapter 21. We saw that. Babylon has been destroyed. The beast has gone into the Gehenna. Chapter 19. And the false prophet. The sea of fire. The dragon has followed them. In chapter 20. And now all the wicked of the sea. Go into the same place. The Gehenna. And the sea is empty now. 
at the end of chapter 20. Emptied of all uncleanness and no more wicked. But not only has the contents of the sea been dealt with, even that which they appear to come from is dealt with. So there's no more sea. God says we'll have no more of that. There'll never be any more of that in the new heaven and the new earth. There'll never be any more darkness. There'll never be any more beasts. There'll never be any more evil arising out of the dark and the mysterious and the unknown. It'll never happen again. The very source is dealt with. No more sea. It means at least one other thing, and with this we conclude. It means no more separation. The great gulf is the sea. And the sea separates, doesn't it? You, you have relatives abroad. I know that some of you do. You don't hardly ever see them. And it's a great big trip to go and see them because the sea, the sea separates. And the sea is like time because we are separated from the reformers and the covenanters and others of our brethren and sisters in the church of Jesus Christ. We are separated. We've never seen them. We read a bit about them. They're distant. The, the sea is like time that has separated us. Separated the generations. But no more sea. No more separation whatsoever. All the generations all come together. All that ever lived in time all come together. No separation. No sea. It's like death. Death separates. Separates us from our loved ones. The sea of death. But no sea of death. And no more separation from loved ones. And sin, the sea of sin separates as well. The sea pictures the limitations of this present world. Where even spatially and geographically people are separate. But you see in the world to come, there's none of that. No spatial and geographical separation. No time separation. No generation separation, no age separation, no sin separation, no cultural differences separation, no national identity separation. The seas between the different nations, there, there's none of that. A perfect oneness without sea. A perfect unity. A perfect togetherness with Christ. No gulfs, no distance between saints, and especially no distance between saints and the Lord. No barriers whatsoever of any kind. Only one. One people. Inseparable in time and space. One fully complete body. One togetherness of all the saints. It comes down the new Jerusalem as the one body of Christ coming down into the earth never to be separated into parts. Never to have seas between them. One forever. One in Christ and one with Christ. Throughout all eternity. One with the Lord without separation and sea. The whole body will follow him 
flow together with him on that river of life together with Christ. And when you stand at the seaside and think of your distant loved ones in the far shore that you never see, remember this. And thank God for your Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ who not only stilled the sea in the days of his flesh when he walked among men but who will one day completely remove the sea altogether and there will be no more of that. Just in the boat with Christ in the perfect stillness and solidness and tranquility and no chance of being disturbed whatsoever throughout all eternity with Christ, which is far better with no more shame.